everybody, and welcome to the Passion Podcast. My name is Saora, and this is the place to be for all things masculine and feminine. In this podcast, you'll find all the things that you need to be able to understand both yourself and your intimate connections more, and therefore be able to experience more passion, play, and deep satisfaction in your relationships and in all other areas of your life. We dive especially deep into understanding men, to help men understand what is needed for them to find wholeness and embodiment, and to help women understand how we can take more responsibility and how we can support this growth within the men in our lives. Although I do primarily focus more so on men, simply because I feel that more support is needed there, we also dive into women too, into what women need from themselves, from each other, and from men in order to find true wholeness. I deeply believe that to evolve, we need to learn radical self-responsibility, but we also really need each other. So I hope you enjoy this episode and that you find some real tangible answers that you can implement and integrate into your life. Enjoy. Hey everyone. So this week's podcast is with a dear brother of mine, Damien Bowler. It's a really fascinating episode if I do say so myself. It's all about attachment styles and the ways that we actually learn to bond. It's about the journey from codependence to independence to interdependence. We really pull apart and explore the different attachment styles and what is secure attachment and how to get there. We talk about what it's like to bond from a secure attachment and how that affects arousal. We talk about different experiences of secure parasympathetic arousal. We talk about a man's fear of losing his heart on and how that relates to attachment styles. What is feminine devotion and masculine devotion? I really feel that there's a lot of gold nuggets in this one that hopefully will support you in your lives. You may have noticed that I've been a little feminine and irregular with my sharing of the podcasts. Yep, it hasn't been exactly consistent. (laughs) But I hereby declare that I am making a commitment to be showing up and actually sharing an episode every week. They'll be there Monday morning every single week from now on. That's my commitment. Yep, I said it. It's been so lovely to hear from some of you about how this is impacting your lives and I definitely encourage more of you to reach out to me and let me know in what ways this is impacting you and why. But most of all, my sincere request is for you to please share this episode or any episode or all the episodes. Every time you listen to one and you enjoy it, send it to at least one person that would be the best thing that you could do and would be amazing reciprocity and would really, really, really help this podcast spread far and wide to really support people and their relationships with themselves and others. I have been blown away lately by the level of wholeness and union I've been experiencing coursing through my being on the daily. It is, it's amazing. I'm so grateful. 
It's not that suddenly I have no more problems because granted, I definitely do. But the ways that I have been able to navigate it is just, I feel so whole. I feel so unified within my own being. I am totally able to access all that I need within my own self and be fully, fully sovereign, fully self-sustained and just overflowing with so much goodness. My capacity has expanded in ways that I never knew were possible. And I feel so available to support others in their journey to wholeness. So if this feels resonant, if you feel resonant, if you feel the call to work with me, please reach out and let me know. So without further ado, here is Damien and I. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Passion Podcast once again. I am really happy to hear, to be here today with a dear friend of mine, Damien Bowler. How you doing, Damien? Hi. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Mm. Yeah. So, Damien and I, how long have we known each other? We've known each other a while now. Yeah, we've known each other virtually for a number of years, <laughs> and then we we spent time together in person couple of years ago two years maybe. ago yeah two years ago yeah yeah i yeah. think it was it was either 2012 or 13 that we first met online and goodness knows how we actually got connected but i i know that we were like both attracted to um kind of attracted to each other's brains really and the ways that you know we we had really we shared pretty deeply and and explored all these kind of topics that we explore in this podcast really and yeah, I just found it incredibly intellectually stimulating. Both of our awareness and understanding has grown significantly since then. <laughs> significantly, yeah. It feels like mm -hmm. numerous lifetimes ago, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, would you love to, I would, I would love for you just to take a few minutes to share a little bit about who you are and what you're up to in this world and how it relates to these topics. I guess my... It's really interesting because my, my biggest impulse and my strongest urge is actually towards tribal community. My, my, my feeling, I have a background in environmental science. Mm. And uh, when I shifted to studying that, you know, many years ago now, something in me woke up. I actually woke up even earlier. Just before I studied that, I went to, I spent some time in France and I visited my cousin in a small village in the mountains in the Pyrenees in the far south of France. And something in me woke up and I was like, oh, there's a different way to live on this earth than how I've been living. I grew up in Sydney in the city and in the suburbs, fucking boring suburbs. Um, <laughs> so boring. I hate the suburbs. <laughs> I kind of live in the suburbs now, but they're suburbs of Byron. So it's a little bit different. It's way different. Um, and you're in the ocean. Way different. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the ocean. It's I'm not part of it, attached to a big city. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, something in me sparked at that time and I was just, something woke up in me and was like, there has to, there's a different way of living and I want it. And I think I've just been on a long 20 plus year life journey around understanding what that is and still feeling the, what I believe is an evolutionary impulse or urge towards kind of 
creating the, the next version of tribe. Like I'm, I'm into developmental psychology. I'm into understanding how development works through humanity. And some of the models point to uh, where we're heading is back into more small oriented local collective kind of places. So yeah. that's really what I'm up to land-based living in tribe in community, living a deeply nourishing life where we're not hustling for kind of money in this way to live. We're actually living in a, in pure abundance, like actual abundance, which mm -hmm. to me is connection with others, connection to the land and, and enough food and, you know, sh lovely shelter and, and being immersed in a, in an environment that actually really deeply nourishes and enriches my soul and the ability to kind of spiritually explore, you know, deeper aspects of self and, and other. So that's, that's what I'm really wanting, but it's interesting because <laughs> I've kind of taken steps back and recognized that like those kind of, that kind of somewhat utopic or idealistic environment can't actually happen when there's certain challenges or struggles that we're dealing with on the planet. And one of those big struggles is how we relate to each other. Right. And both at an individual level or like through friends and everything. And then also at a romantic level, you know, it's like, I see, I've sort seen for myself for many years, I've been entirely preoccupied with how do I have a meaningful, like this burning, yearning, aching urge to be in a meaningful, supportive, romantic relationship. And, you know, it's quite consuming. And I see a lot of people mm -hmm. really consumed by that, you know, and it's like, so I believe one part is that we're so consumed by this, this need that it's very hard to focus on other parts of, you know, creating tribe together. And the other thing is I actually think that the couple or the, 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 the fundamental family unit, which is a couple, you know, which is a man and a woman or, you know, some, some version of that it doesn't always have to be a man and a woman, but there's some version of beings coming together for the purpose of actually creating legacy, which is a family unit, you know, whether we actually do that biologically or not is, is a different story. Um, I actually see that as the pillar for tribe or community. That's what a tribe is. A tribe is a collection of these kind of units. And it may even, it may evolve to become somewhat more fluidic and, and have elements of polyamorous style relating in it. I don't know. It's not really that important. I, I don't have a, an opinion over whether, which one is right, but just that understanding how to relate to each other in this romantic erotic sense is, I believe, vitally important in this for movement sure. towards tribe-based yeah. living. And also, how do we relate to each other generally? Mm. So those two questions seem to have been ones that have started to have been preoccupying me lately and is what I offer in the world. But prior to that, I was studying and offering permaculture. I, ran, I worked as a permaculture design teacher. I used to do designs for people's properties and everything. And then I moved into, actually, I run courses on authentic relating and more and more I'm moving into running stuff on healing attachment wounds because that's crucial and and expanding into other areas like using transpersonal devices to like human design and gene keys. So I have a wide variety of interests. And really I wanted to discuss the way that I did is because it, the, the the focal point really for me is this kind of tribal community land-based living is actually where I'm heading, even though right now, I'm teaching authentic relating, nervous system regulation, boundaries, 
you know, human design, um, attachment mm-hmm. stuff and polarity is what I'm actually teaching, but it's for the purpose of that. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I'd actually forgotten. I mean, I hadn't forgotten that you have had where, where you've come from with permaculture and all that kind of stuff, but we had discussed this some time ago and I had forgotten that that was kind of like the whole MO of why, why you're, your impetus, why you're even doing all this. So, hmm, where shall we begin? Right. Well, just as you were sharing the things that you're doing there, this thing that lit up for me a little bit is around um, attachment theory. And I'm just going to go on the supposition that people already have somewhat of an idea about attachment theory. And if you don't, maybe look up a podcast about it. But let's suppose that people already have some idea about attachment theory. I wonder what lights up for you as something really interesting and intriguing that you have discovered along the way of your journey around the attachment theory. Well, to me, the 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 point of understanding and exploring attachment and attachment theory is actually in healing it that's what we're doing it for, you know, and, and sometimes I think people can become more identified with the labels. I'm anxious. I'm avoidant, whatever. Actually, that, that actually isn't the point. That's not the point. The point is we're rewiring our attachment system. And for me, I actually think of how I've come to think of it is I actually think that we are hardwired to attach and I call it bonding rather than attachment to create yes. a bit of a, a distinction between the two We're we're wired to bond. Yes. Um, and in, in our early life, we're, we're, we're being given a map of bonding by our relationship with our primary caregivers. And ideally, if we're given a secure map, we understand the way to bond and separate. Ideally. Healthily. Ideally. <laughs> Most of us don't have that. You Most, know? Yeah. Most people listening to this kind of work don't have it. That's why we're so intrigued by it, because we're trying to, we have an impulse to heal it, because we recognize that if I don't, then most of my relationships are just ongoing, constant streams of chaos, you know, as my attachment system is consistently disrupted by not knowing how to either bond without kind of losing all sense of self or not being able to separate without going into extreme forms of distress and anxiety, you know, or, you know, extreme to mild forms of distress and anxiety. So I'm really, what I recognize is as that attachment like disruption that that attachment dysfunction starts to heal itself and and i get fascinated by the process of healing because this is where we bring in the nervous system right it's actually there is a physiological repatterning that happens in the nervous system that we have to do we have to rewire our nervous system it's like it's like we're, we're we're creating conditions around us to give our nervous system a different experience, which then it does this whole process whereby it creates new neural connections and prunes old ones. And we have a different nervous system and brain function than we did before in order to have a healthy bonding. So fascinating. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And as we heal, we don't suddenly go, well, I don't need to be connected to someone. We, We actually bond. We're still bonding and we're still bonding perhaps even more deeply but the bonding is no longer a disturbing and dysregulating and distressing experience. So that's kind of what, yeah. what really fascinates me there. 
maybe you know i was just just feeling that maybe we should like just for the people who are listening who don't know about attachment theory let's like can we put it like in a little nutshell for them yeah well so i have a slightly different take than, than a lot of that's the, what i want yeah yeah <laughs> then, <laughs> then what's what's conventionally taught because i i get i have an anti-dogmatic nature and whenever i see anything start becoming dogmatic i want to tear it apart you know <laughs> yeah. but it's not from the fact that it's, i don't believe it's true i think that there's truth but it's like let's not get stuck on absolutes because that actually causes rigidity in our system so i have an anti-dogmatic approach and so that part of that is like i actually believe that at the core of it, we're insecurely attached or we have a secure model. And the secure model is how I just described. And the insecure model means that I was, there was a disruption or a, an incomplete model of bonding in my system. Either I was not able to feel my own independence without feeling like I've lost the connection. And this, this happens through intermittent connection, usually with the mother. An example might be, I'm put in a cot at night in a separate room from my mother and I scream because actually I'm a freaking six month, eight month year old child and me being alone means imminent death, you know, actually to a, I can't move yeah. my body. If a dog was to walk into that house and pick me up in its jaws, there was nothing I could do. So I depend on my caregivers for my survival. Absolutely. So I'm put, I can't even see, smell or feel, maybe even electromagnetically feel my mother close to me. So I start screaming. I start crying. I start screaming. Now my mother goes, oh, that's not good. She comes in, she picks me up, she soothes me. But the next night, the same thing happens. And the next night, the same thing happens. So there's this intermittent kind of connection. I, I, I start learning that the only way to get my survival needs met is to throw a tantrum. Wow. So I grow up with that model and now I'm in a relationship and my partner needs some space for a minute. And I go into panic because that death impulse, I'm about to die because I'm being abandoned comes up. And I recognize that the only way to ensure that I'm not going to die means that I need to get this person to pay attention to me again. So I throw a tantrum. I get super upset. I become really emotional. I create some kind of conflict so we can get escalated. And their attention is on me. We call it, we tend to call this anxiously attached. Um, that because we've had an intermittent experience of bonding, we never fully feel separate and we never fully feel connected. And we recognize that the only way we can get connected is by creating drama. So then on the other side, maybe I'm put in the cot and I scream, I cry, the mother does not come. I eventually cry so hard that I've got no energy left and I fall asleep. And this happens night after night. In the daytime, mother might be there. She plays me, whatever. But some part of me goes, I don't die, right? Obviously, I don't die. So I'm like, I'm not going to die on my own. And I also can't depend on anyone for my needs. So I recognize that there's no point making a fuss to get my needs met. Screaming and crying doesn't work. It just, it just burns up my energy and makes me feel crappy. So I shut all of that impulse down and I no longer do that. And now I'm in a, and I'm in a, and this is just a very loose example. This yeah. is not absolute, but now I'm in an adult relationship and um, I actually perceive that the partner is going to abandon me. Right? 
this is very interesting. The avoidant goes, there's some sense way below the level of conscious awareness that I'm not, my partner's going to abandon me. And I go, fuck this. And I shut things down. I'm, I'm out of here first. I don't need anyone and expressing my emotional vulnerability doesn't serve any purpose. So I'm just going to shut things down and go take care of myself. I'm going to go soothe myself. I'm going to auto-regulate. And this is what we call avoidant attachment. And so we have these kind of blueprint patterns and they're kind of connected to it. They, they kind of seek each other out. These two patterns seek each other out and they're not absolute patterns. We may have had a mix of the two. And, and when we start unfolding our attachment wounds, we'll find that we have all kinds of weird strategies and behaviors and fears and anxieties and shames and everything. And we have to kind of like sift through and heal all of it. Um, but that's kind of a loose yeah. uh, example of what attachment is like. Yeah. So it's basically the patterns that we learnt the way we learnt to bond or not bond out of, out of our own safety and protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then there's other ones in there. Like, for example, I know a number of men whose mothers were overbearing. And I know a number of me- uh, men who were single children with a single mom and the son was their world. And so they received too much of attached energy from their mom, of their mom almost looking to their son for their intimate relationship in a way, you know, of the needs that they would normally get in an intimate relationship. And and they generally tend to be on the avoidant side as well. Yeah, they've and 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 it's it it I made and make up for those kind of people. It's a reaction to uh, feeling like they never got to experience themselves properly. Mm, mm. I never got to actually either. Well, one of two things, sometimes I had to grow up too fast because I, I, now my mother needed me to be the man, even though I'm like three years old. So I'm having to grow up way faster than I was capable of and basically suppress my own childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm suppressing my inner child to be a man. So there's that, there's that version, but then you can also have the same, same thing, like a single mom, um, with the child. And now you have a guy who can't ever let go of his mom. He lives with his mom. He looks after his mom. He gets a romantic relationship and mom's still number one priority. The moment mom calls, he comes running, you know? So I think, I, I really think that there's so much, variety in how we can like determine our early experiences and how that causes us but essentially it comes down to as you just shared attachment is our map of how we bond and if we don't have a very good map and we tend to create dysfunctional bonding patterns dysfunctional attachment patterns in our romantic relating and they're really fucking painful like they hurt yeah. You know, and most people have, if you're listening to this, you probably have some string or experience of really painful relationships. There's some joys, but there's probably, I know most of my relationships in my life have been just a string of pain with some yeah. joy intermingled in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And so the whole purpose of understanding attachment theories is, as you're saying, to ideally learn to become securely attached. Let's speak to that for a moment. Yeah. The interesting thing, like securely attached, um, (laughs) because it can conjure up 
Like what 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 does securely attached conjure up for you? Like mm. not necessarily your own interpretation of what securely attached is, but like actually if you hear the term securely attached, where does your mind immediately go? I know for me, my mind immediately goes to like kind of bland, passionless, you know, how mm. are you today, dear? I'm good, dear. You know, like this like very, <laughs> you know, like there's no, there's no, there's no conflict, but there's also no, no charge. Spark. You know? yeah. There's no spark, you know? And I, and I know that a lot of people can think, you know, like, and, and I think that this can really hinder the healing process. Cause a lot of people can think that like, Hey, if I become secure, that means that I actually, I have to give up the passion and the chemistry and the wild erotic lustful feelings that like most of us get intoxicated by right? It's like, I don't, and, and a lot of people, you know, when I've written about it, a lot of people will come in with that sense. And, 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 you know, particularly because one of the things I'll like, I, I often say is if you, if you're feeling like head over heels attracted to someone, when you meet them to the point, you can't think straight, it's probably not a very good sign. Yeah. It's actually stress, not <laughs> warning, warning. And, and people go, but I don't want to give that up. Yeah, it's warning signs, but it's like, I don't want to give that up. Like, uh, I'm scared that if I start becoming secure, then I'm never going to have that again. And that's like that level of intoxication is like ecstatic, right? You know, it's like, it's like, oh my God, it's so hot when you can't like, you're just in constant arousal for the person and you want to tear each other's clothes off all the time. And it's like, but I don't want to like, let go of that. So the reason I said is it's like we can have this sense of like secure attachment being a somewhat bland experience. Um, but that's not my experience at all. Yeah. That's not, that's not what I think secure attachment is. Secure mm. attachment is we know how to bond in a healthy way. Mm. And we know how to bond in a way that I'm not in, in a consistent state of anxiety or hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm actually both anxiously attached and avoidant attached, uh, when, when, when they're in an insecure bonding pattern, insecure attachment pattern, exist in state of hypervigilance. The avoidant is actually hypervigilant to being abandoned and they will abandon first. Mm. Any sign that the other person, that they're getting too close, this is what happens in the avoidance system. I'm getting really close to you. I'm getting attached to you. Fuck. That means you might hurt me, so I'm going to bounce. Yeah. I'm going to get out of here before you're ever, you're ever close enough to be able to hurt me. See right? ya. See ya. You know, they're actually terrified of being abandoned. Mm. You know, that's not a very healthy bonding pattern, right? It's like, you don't want to live your life scared of getting too close. Cause if you get too close, you might be abandoned and then you'll have to feel that shame and pain from your childhood again. And the anxious one is hypervigilant to like, if I'm, I'm scanning for, any single thing demonstrates that you might leave and I'm ready with a whole arsenal of like uh, volatile behavioral patterns, all kinds of drama. I've got all kinds of drama back here. Ready for any sign that you might leave to throw at you to make you stay, you know, and it's like, we don't want to live like that. So yeah. securely attached is ha- being able to bond without that, being able to, create a connection that allows me to feel whole and you to feel whole and we come together and we share our connection but we are also able to separate we're able to connect and separate without distress to our system when we're insecurely attached we can't connect and separate 
We can only do one of them. We tend to overconnect enmeshment or we over-separate avoidance, you know, and we, we tend to err in this dysfunctional side. So securely attached really balances agency and communion or sovereignty and um, connection. And that doesn't mean that we can't be passionate. Although what I experience is that when my nervous system starts calming down and all the distress starts draining out of my system and we, we bond from a place that isn't distress, we start entering into a more parasympathetic or um, I think it's ventral vagal mm -hmm. form of connection, which means that I'm not operating from distress. I'm operating from calmness and my arousal starts happening from calmness, which is a very interesting thing to get turned on. For me, the first time I, I had an erection with no, with no intensity in my system, I was like really calm and not even thinking about sex. And I've got an erection. I'm like, wow, like, you know, and then when we start bonding from that place, I don't need the friction. I don't need the, we don't need to enter into this place where people want the intense passion of like, oh my God, we need to rip each other's clothes off. It's actually very gentle. I lie next to my partner and we're just talking and I'm in full arousal with nothing sexual in the space at all, just because my body is so relaxed around her that it's actually entering, entering into arousal, which is way hotter actually than the other forms of arousal. Yeah, I want to speak a little bit more to that yeah. around, um, yeah, it's something I've been exploring and tracking for a while. And for actually mm. a number of years, I've said, I don't actually trust strong chemistry because it's just a perfect match of karma. And it's, yeah, as you're saying, it's that that intensity is, is often, a, a there's a, a big trigger in the attachment system. And I feel that we bond we have uh, most humans myself in the past included have bonded all too quickly have allowed ourselves to bond when we haven't actually even really truly got to know if that person is capable at all of meeting us in a healthy attachment and so i'm all about taking a lot more time and it just, somebody, somebody mentioned to me recently, we were talking about a mutual friend and I was asking for his opinion on her. And he, he said that he didn't want to say much, but that he didn't feel safe to choose to bond to her. And it was like this huge, like light bulb, aha moment for me, but also a bit of a like, duh, kind of a moment, like that, of course, you choose to bond with somebody or not. And I have historically gone around willy-nilly bonding with everybody to a certain degree uh, because I love them. And so, yeah, I've been going through this whole beautiful process of refinement of actually closing doors on many different connections in my life that do not really nourish me and, and not... Um, able, I'm not able to have secure attachment with those people on, you know, whether it be relationships or friendships and yeah, it's just been a whole beautiful exploration for me around realizing how much more gradualness and personally, I think that there is a whole different kind of chemistry, what you're speaking to, that there's a little bit more of a slow burn, but it can, it's actually far richer and far deeper and more sustainable and like 
healthy and based in a settled nervous system. To me, there's no comparison. But it's like, and, and what I hear what you're saying is it's like, if you bond too quickly, you're bypassing the safety checks. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and it's, I can feel like in my system and I've done it too, that it's like, it's almost rushing. It's almost like, if I don't bond with you right now, I might lose you. And it's yeah. like, is that really the foundation we want for our relationship? Right. And I also like what you said about your friend, like, I don't feel safe to choose, you know, and I can hear in that and I can hear from a man's perspective or someone who errs more on the avoidance side that if I don't actually get to choose, like the bonding happens without my choice, there's a bit of a violation in that. It's like, Mm -hmm. I actually need the safety to go, yeah, this is somewhere where I actually want to bond because bonding will happen. The moment we start spending more time with each other and start being more sexual with each other. Sexual sexuality is a bonding process, Hugely. right? Particularly for a woman earlier on. Yeah. Men men take a little bit longer to bond yes. sexually to a woman. Like we don't bond sexually the first time. It probably takes maybe around 10, 10 or so sexual interactions with the same woman before we actually start having a bonding experience. For a woman, it's pretty much the first time. She'll mm-hmm. start bonding to him at least for some period of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. It's- very seeding and encoding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, am I choosing to have this bonding experience with this person or am I doing it? Am I, am I attempting to bond with them or am I attempting to create a bond out of fear that there won't be a relationship if I don't, that we won't yep. get to be together. Yeah. You know? That's that, it. It's almost like an, creating an energetic baby with somebody to try and get them to stay. Mm-hmm. And not only, not only fear that they will leave, it can also be coming from fear and lack with just wanting to feel eros, wanting to feel pleasure, you know, but it it, it is still this, it's still coming from a seed of fear of not enoughness. And I wonder as well about your, like your experience of parasympathetic arousal as a woman, like. (laughs) For those who don't (laughs) have the video. Him even just saying that just set up this huge like burst of kundalini through my system. Anyway. Mm. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it creates so much more safety. So much more safety. And it's like it's it's like it's a completely different realm of experience. And I unfortunately haven't experienced enough nearly enough of it. And the moments that I have experienced it, it's like, oh my goodness. And then you're able to actually get to experience so much more of what's truly there, a whole other level of vulnerability that's available to be experienced and expressed and witnessed and healed and all of that. And yeah, it's it's just a completely different realm. And it feels like that's where it really begins to me. Mm-hmm. I like I like what you said there about vulnerability as well. It feels mm. a lot more vulnerable. A lot you know, more. And it's almost like, and I can like, it's like we have to drop this fear that if I don't, if I don't provide enough stimulation that I won't become physically prepared. You know, as a man, I won't become erect or as a woman, I won't be able to engorge and lubricate without some kind of intense friction without like making out really hard, you know? Um, but it's not, 
it's not the case. I actually find the more safety I generate in my relationship, the more I'm aroused almost all the time. It's like there's this baseline hum of arousal that just permeates both of our experience constantly. Mm. We don't, we don't have to do. And then, and then it's really interesting sexually. I mean, both of us tend towards really enjoying the sex itself more so than a lot of the foreplay stuff. So that really suits our relating, but we don't, because we're in a state of arousal all the time, we don't necessarily have to like do something to get, get prepared. We're pretty much prepared sexually almost all the time awesome. you know, from the moment we meet each other, we're, we're, we're in that experience, you know, or when we wake up in the morning or something like that. Was it always um, like that or did you have to cultivate and move through the layers to get that? Yeah, it happened pretty quick for us. I think but there were still us, layers there to move. Yeah, through, yeah. I think because both of us really prioritize or really have a desire to be in a be in a deeply bonded and safe relationship that we we're able to start dropping in. And I'd been I'd been developing through sexological body work kind of a relationship to parasympathetic arousal. And I found I find that I can't actually get aroused in the other way anymore. I, I didn't experiment couple of days ago it feels a bit vulnerable to share this but i <laughs> i felt an impulse to watch some porn you know mm-hmm. out of out of curiosity to see what it'd do to me yeah and i'm watching the kind of porn that would normally arouse me and i'm not getting aroused and That's i can't so even get cool. aroused even i start stimulating myself and i'm like this is not turning me on i'm wow. not actually i'm not getting turned on by it and it's really it was fascinating i was like okay so i just put that aside and let that go and then my partner comes over a couple of days later and we lie down in bed and my body is instantly aroused, like without any effort, there's nothing. We were just chatting and, you know, talking and I'm like turned on. It's like, oh, there's something very different happening here. And I also just wanted to plant one more seed around um, a lot of the time as a man, uh, it's interesting that we're going into this territory, but it, it <laughs> relates so powerfully to attachment, right? As a man, one of the greatest fears we can have sexually is that I won't be able to get it up, right? Yeah. It's like... I can't get it up with a woman and I find, and, and, and the, the impulse as a man is generally to try and apply more friction. Right. I can't get it up. So like double down on the friction. If right. I'm with a woman, like quick, quick, how about you like go down on me or grab it with your hand or do something like that, you know, and like, but what's actually happening is we're in a fear state. We're actually in a state of unsafety and then we're trying to get through it by like powering through, which actually creates more unsafety. Mm-hmm. And the antidote for that is actually to create more safety. And our body, when we go into a state of safety, uh, like one of the beautiful th- things a woman can do, is like it doesn't matter. You know, exactly. I just want to lie. We can hold you. You know, and if a man can just let go as well, it's like it's really hard as a man to let go and be like it doesn't matter. It's like okay, we'll hold, and then maybe I'll get hard. You know, it's like I'm up in my head, and there's and when we say we're up in our head, there we're actually the 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 distress parts of our brain, the amygdala is heightened mm. because I'm in an attachment fear, right? If And I'm in this loop, it's internally created, that if I can't get hard and then be able to have sex with her and turn her on and give her what I think that she needs, I'm going to get abandoned. So I'm actually in distress. And that's a fight or flight. The fight or flight. And then you're and not going to get hard. Flight, exactly. Our, <laughs> all our blood flows away from wow. unnecessary areas, which an erection is one of them, into our limbs in order to deal with it. Or if we're in a freeze, it actually just starts shutting down. It goes all the way into the organs. So um, safety 
is so important for all of us, for men and women, you know, and men tend to not recognize their own safety bonding needs as well. It's like right. we actually need to feel safe with a partner that we're not about to get abandoned. We're not about to get smothered. We're not about to get the rug pulled out from under us. We're not about to get yelled at. We're not about to do anything. That safety allows our own nervous system to settle and unwind. And then this unwinding process, which is a multi-layered process. And I want to introduce just one more term into this because um, I, I find it super fascinating is it's like, I coined this term positive dissonance. So when we are young, we go through impacts that are traumas to our system. And this is, what's, is what creates our attachment distress as we grow up. And they may be overt traumas, like physical, emotional, mental, spiritual abuse, or they may be subtle ones in that they're physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual neglect. And neglect can look like you didn't get traumatized, but actually your mother wasn't emotionally available to you. Right. And, you know, for example, for me, I got bullied pretty consistently throughout school, which is one level of terror. But the second level of terror is I, I didn't have anyone to share that experience with. There was no one who could listen to me. My parents didn't feel fully available to me, even though they were available in some way, I felt alone in that experience. I relate to every part uh, of that very strongly. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that, um, that creates a sort of fragmentation. And so my, one of my strategies to deal with that fragmentation was I used to read fiction books. I used to immerse myself as a form of dissociation. Fiction isn't necessarily dissociation, but I used it as a dissociative coping method to escape from reality. I would read for inordinate numbers of hours. Sometimes I'd read for six hours in a day. I would just, and I wouldn't be in my experience of life until my body said I'm hungry or I need to go to the toilet. The rest of the time I'd be in fantasy land. Um, so we've gone through a fragmentation process. Now, when we start healing, say I'm feeling terrified that I'm very, very gross level. I'm feeling terrified that I'm going to be abandoned for whatever reason. And my partner's like here and I'm here and I'm not going to abandon you. And I like throw a bit of a tantrum just because that's what I'm used to. And they don't bend for it. They actually still meet me in it. Then something happens that I call positive dissonance, which is actually, it's like a refragmentation. The, the disowned parts come back in and it's really disorienting. It can feel almost as painful as the original fragmentation. We experience the point of grief as our whole nervous system recalibrates itself and becomes more whole again. Um, and this can happen in sexual, you know, in our sexuality mm -hmm. as well. You know, it's like for women who have done, like, for example, there's a lot of work going around around deep cervix work using wands or mm -hmm. even better than a wand is actually a man's penis. If he's aware of what he's doing is very healing for the cervix. Mm -hmm. If there's consciousness and gentleness and safety right? and there's an unwinding and she'll go through strange kind of experiences yeah. of like, glitching out and strange suddenly crying sounds. for no reason and strange sounds. And then like, I actually feel an impulse to push you away and get you out of my life. And then I just hold you and you go, it's okay. I'm not going anywhere. And it's like, as this positive dissonance as our psyche is being put back together. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's so true. Like with healing the attachment wounds, it's, 
there's there's only so much we can do healing it within ourselves, you know, and there's a lot that we can do with ourselves, but there is so much that actually needs to be healed in relation with other in the yeah. repatterning. These wounds tended to occur relationally. They heal best relationally. We can have, it's really good to work with a therapist or a coach at the beginning to, to start to get good models. I definitely worked with therapists early on in my process. And then I also had one friend who was, I went through a really hard time in my life and all the people close to me in my life, it's like they couldn't handle me. I was dark. I was very, very dark, you know, like, you know, constantly contemplating ending my life kind of mm. dark, like mm -hmm. dark, dark place. And I was working with therapists at the time, which was really helpful, but actually had one friend who, no matter how dark I went, never tried to fix me or change my mind or anything. He was just there. He would meet me every week, a couple of times. He had a newborn at the time as well. And he would, he was just there. He's just like, no matter what happens, I'm here. You know, I'm actually here. And that wired in a pattern of someone never leaving. And it yeah. started to heal my nervous system. You yeah. can do this with a therapist or a coach. Obviously, there's an exchange or a friend. If you have a friend going through a dark time, you can just meet them without trying to change them. You know, it's like these are really helpful. And then once we've kind of got a baseline, then when we start entering partnership, we at least have something to fall back on. And then we start doing deeper layers of work. Yeah. All right. Well, I am really excited to explore the topic of codependence to independence to interdependence. Mm -hmm. That feels really interesting to me. Where you want like to go with that? Us up with some thoughts. Mm, sure. Well, firstly, I just think it's a really important. Um, aspect of relating that people should be aware of. Uh, just again, it's like a whole nother angle of, of, of thought, like, like the attachment theory. It's kind of like three stages, really. Codependence is where it's unconscious. I absolutely need you in order to feel okay. I'm not going to be okay if you're not okay. And we all know where that leads. It's just a mess, just dramatic. And then there's independence, which is kind of the healing from that, which is we come into our sense of self. We learn to self-source. We learn to find what we need in ourselves and learn to become more of a whole person. And then there's interdependence, which is the next step from there. As you were saying, I've never heard it put this way. And I really love how you're saying interdependence includes independence. And is absolutely, it's like you can't leap from codependent to interdependent. You have to learn and go through the rite of passage of being independent first. Interdependence to me is such a beautiful amalgamation of certain things that might look similar to codependence, but it's coming from a place of wholeness. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the points I was going to share as well. It's like on the surface from the outside, codependence and interdependence can look very similar. Mm. They can look quite similar in the way that they show up from the inside. They're very different experiences. Right. Yeah. And I love what you just shared. Like codependence is almost codependence is like a way to visually explore this is it's like two half circles coming together to make one circle. That's yeah. codependence. Neither person is whole. Each person is only half and they only feel whole together. But the problem with that is when I, unless I'm with you, I can't, 
actually feel myself. And even when I'm with you, I can't feel myself. Like I'm only, we're only whole together, but that means that I kind of don't even exist. The biggest pain of codependence over time is you kind of feel like you don't exist anymore, you know, and that's soul destroying, literally you lose yourself. Destroying. You lose mm. yourself. You don't have any sense of self when you become enmeshed or codependent, you know, and I've definitely, most of my relationships had some form of that in them, mm. you know, really strong mm. sense of losing myself constantly into the other. And then independence is like two whole circles hanging out, you know, or on their own, you know, I might be doing my own journey. I've, I've spent, you know, I, I was prior to this relationship. I had a couple of pieces here and there. I had a year long relationship, which totally fucking devastating me in a six month, but I've been really single from long-term relationship or real long-term commitment for like over 10 years. You know, I've spent, I spent a long period of time single. Not all of that time was actually hardly any of it was intentional. Um, but it was almost like I was forced into experiencing myself and being really okay with myself and understanding that I can do life with myself. And it took a long time to really experience that and start coming into a sense where the, the, the precedent of the current relationship that I'm in, I started to get to a point where I would be like, I choose myself over relationship. If a relationship isn't going to add benefit to my life, I don't want it. And I started Mm -hmm. becoming very aware of subtle signs that a relationship wasn't doing that very early on. If little pull dynamics started occurring, or if I met someone and I was like really attracted by this person, I send them a message and they don't reply for two days. And I noticed my body going into distress. It wasn't even about the fact that I didn't reply for two days. It was the fact that I could feel my body starting to fixate on them. And I'm like, that's a, that's a no for me. I noticed whenever I started feeling strong attachment to stress in dating, that was a no. Mm. I'm not going to follow that. And generally that was a very good idea. Um, and then I think of, I love what you said there as well, in interdependence. So we've got the two holes of independence and it's like we have to, we have to experience that. And I think, I think a lot of us have to become a lot more honest about our lack of, of true independence. You know, and I think a lot more people really haven't developed this than they think. And then also other people have to become really honest that their relationship is an independent one, not an interdependent one. It's like yeah. we're actually just doing our own thing in connection, which is very safe. It's yeah. a very safe experience. And the main thing about an inter- interdependence is two whole circles create an even bigger circle. So two whole strength. circles come together and they're inside of a bigger circle. So it's like a, a third circle that encapsulates two whole circles. And these whole circles can move apart and come together. You know, they can move apart and do their own thing and they come together. And when they come together, they create this bigger thing, the third, the we space, the the organism of relationship. What we want when we're a couple, when we're not a codependent couple, when we're a codependent couple, there's the circle and nothing. There's no separate self from the relationship. But interdependence is we are whole and we are part. You know, whole on is, is a beautiful term. Um, by Arthur Kessler, it's uh, 
kind of the functional unit of reality. Everything is a whole and a part, including us relationally. I'm mm. whole, you're whole, and we're part of us. Mm. And that subsumation to the us is the thing that I'm really fascinated about. What is this us and what would it take to truly, truly, not just in word and mental thought, make us conscious? Mm. Like the we between us, what happens when that intelligence becomes, it starts to, and it does in some way, the more you deepen, my experiences I deepen with someone, the more the intelligence of us is informing me and her. Yeah, it makes sense. We're being informed by our intelligence, which is wild. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so mm, with interdependence, like it it makes me also think about monogamy, you know, and some people, uh, the way that I personally look at it, there's monogamy that is unconscious, that is codependent. And then there's polyamory that's independent and it's not even... You know, it's just all kind of focused on what is wanted for the self. And then there's the same, there's monog- monogamy and polyamory that are more interdependent and it is very much aware and in service to the growth and the whole health and the wholeness of the other. And yeah, the, the, the monogamy that is based in wholeness, but coming from a choice of two people choosing each other is just exquisitely beautiful to me. And again, the, the polyamory that it is much more, um, responsible and caring for the other's growth into interdependent, that, that sounds way more, uh, healthy and, um, healing than a lot of what is called polyamory that goes on around these parts. Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't think the relationship matters like interdependence is, That's true, is yeah. not even, it's not even tethered to romantic relating it's like an introduction i talked about you know us working as tribe or community i actually truly believe that this interdependent form is what i call organismic consciousness is where we're heading you know now it's not just a relationship between two people now it may be a community of 50 or 100 people mm. that operating interdependently that recognizes that my ability to thrive and my well-being as an individual is tethered to the thriving of us as a whole yeah yeah that's an interdependent relationship yeah and i just that is really like how i live i really am always very you know people always say that i'm i'm extremely caring and i take care of everybody around me and and that's because i look at that i look that we are all in this together and and i do really experience this as one organism and oh my gosh how do i wish there was more people that were you know, confronting life like that, you know, that we, we, if we all took so much better care of each other and realized that what, what supports one supports the whole. Um, yeah, Absolutely. we would definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's where we're heading. And, and one of the yes. things that really fascinates me is, is that the, the nature of exchange changes. This is something I've thought about a bit, like, Right now, we live in a socioeconomic system with horizontal exchange. I try, I give you something and you give me something. It's mm. transactional. I think an organism, an organism, and it may be organisms trading with other organisms horizontally, but mm. within the organism is a vertical exchange. And so the Pay organism- Pay forward say, kind mate, of thing. 
Well, not quite. It's say, say for example, there's 20 of us and mm -hmm. we're, we've, we're, we're creating community and we've become a functional organism where we're in an interdependent relationship with each other. We recognize that our ability to thrive is based on the, the unique gifts that each of us bring to this whole. And we're all performing our own unique function, just like my liver cell and my kidney cell and my brain cell, all are unique, but, but work together to create me. Right. We're doing this as a tribe. The transactional relationship inside of there goes from me as an individual, say, let's go to land-based living. I'm, I'm raising chickens for eggs and I contribute my eggs to the community. There's no exchange there. That's just my eggs. I'm tending the chickens because our community needs eggs and I provide the eggs to the community. And that's horizontal, like vertical. I'm just mm -hmm. giving it to the organism. Right. And then the organism gives back to me. So from and not somewhere necessarily else, from the same, bread yeah. comes back to me. That's, that's kind of yeah. what I meant. Bread and other forward. things come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's, but it's like, but it will be, I do think it's nestled. Like mm -hmm. I do think would be nestled. And then my organism, perhaps we have a surplus of some particular thing that we, tr we, we, we specialize in. You know? We have a timber plantation as well. And then we trade horizontally right. timber for technology with another organism, another tribe, you know, and then we have this horizontal transaction. So mm -hmm. that's just one way of thinking about it. But mm -hmm. um, I think, I think the principle of interdependence is, is the really interesting. And then it's the same thing. If I, if I enter into a romantic relationship, we start entering into a non, like it's a not horizontal. We're not transacting horizontal. Me right. and my partner are exchanging things horizontally. We're both gifting things Ideally. to the organism of us. Ideally. Yeah, we're <laughs> gifting things. We're, we're contributing our unique gifts and resources to us, to mm -hmm. the we space, mm -hmm. to the thing that we are. And the thing that we are is taking care of us. Yeah. You know, and we've, we've tried to structurally do this. Like marriages where you share joint bank accounts and houses and everything is trying to structurally do this. But a lot of times it's codependent, not interdependent. That's um, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's often, and it's often like book kept, you know, we, we keep the books of who contributes what, you know, right. it's like in an intimate mm -hmm. relationship, it's not, it's deep trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where it comes down to true um, devotion and true, true service to the other, you know, of really being aware of what is actually needed for the other's growth and wholeness, you know, and just offering from the freedom of your own heart without any need for a return. Yeah, that's definitely ideal. I love this word devotion. Mm. Devotion has mm -hmm. been a been a word that's been becoming more vibrant inside of me. What is oh. what does devotion mean to you as a woman? Oh, What's feminine just, devotion for you? Oh gosh. What is feminine devotion? Oh, it just lights up my whole being with such such activation and longing, to be honest, really, tr truly deep longing. Devotion to me is just giving so freely for myself and my gifts and my capacity and in whatever ways are appropriate in the moment. Devotion is, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here and I'm going to stay right here and I am going to give all that is rightful to give and capable to give in order to serve 
the other's wholeness and healing and um, juiciness. <laughs> I, love, I love what you share because it's like that's how I experience feminine devotion. Feminine devotion feels like an outpouring. Yeah. It's just this outpouring from the heart. She's just just like, and it's almost like a warship, just like I just, <laughs> there's just an outpouring of love towards, you know, towards her partner or mm. in, in that in that instance. What was that that you said to me that time about how men need to really face their fear around fully receiving all of the love from a woman? Can you speak to that? I can't remember exactly. Mm. I mean, it was kind of like that, but. You sent it in a voice message. I don't remember ever saying that, but there's... No, you did. I, I mean, I I'm not denying you. Yeah, yeah, I'm not denying you. I'm just trying to like... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that on, on the masculine side, something that I've realized is that the, the ma masculine heart, the man's heart is much more designed for receiving than it is for giving, really. Um, and vice versa for the feminine heart. The feminine heart tends to want to pour out and... The masculine heart is designed to receive, but it's like, I think culturally we're, we're fucking constipated as men in our ability to receive in our heart. Like it's really difficult where we're not, we're taught not to receive. Um, receiving often comes with conditions. It comes with pain. Uh, it can it come it can come with an idea of feeling like we're selfish. Like there's lots of constrictions in the way of being mm. able to receive as a man and be able to just accept a woman's kind of like pouring of love towards us is one of the things that I believe a man's going to have to work through in his way on his way if he wants a truly interdependent, deeply bonded, you know spiritually conscious, however divine, sacred, whatever you want to call it, relationship with a woman is to be able to really start receiving her. There's like a melting. It's like it's a constant melting I have to bring to my heart. And so if we're looking at it like the yin and the yang, so if the man is yang and then his heart might be the yin, and so the receiving mm -hmm. is through the heart. And so mm -hmm. what would you say would be the man's outpouring then? Yeah. And, and so I was, I, when I was hearing you speak about your devotion, it's like I was, I was feeling into the quality of devotion in myself while I was listening to you. And mm. what is, what does my devotion feel mm. like? And it's like, it feels like, like a fierce, a fierce desire to keep her safe no matter what. It's like. I will make sure that she has everything she needs and is protecting, providing, right? Yeah, it's more and of the I outer. Sure I am going, it's like, yeah, I feel like my devotion is surrounding her. Yeah. So she is safe to be fully expressed and I won't let anyone fuck with her. Yeah, no one is going to fuck with her. I would put myself in front of that. That's kind of the devotional essence of the man. Mm. Of like mm. her safety becomes my number one priority. Actually, you know, and if, if I were to fully go into masculine devotion, even above my own safety, you know, I would put my life in danger to save hers, you know, like that's what masculine devotion, that's why we have the classic, you know, women and children first and the men go down with the ship, you know, if there's not enough lifeboats, men inherently will. That's why men will go off to war and fight for the safety of the women and the children. 
we that is masculine devotion um yeah you know and so it's really it it outpours more from the base you know it's from the genitals and the base you know it's like i've written about before around like kind of the the positive pole where a man flows out is through his through his cock yeah you know and, and i think it's not just there i actually just think it's the lower centers it's like in action it's doing it's in penetration you know it's in building the house it's in like clearing the trees and the land and it's like hunting the animal and it's all of these things this is how he contributes you know it's also the way he makes love to her he pours energy into her through that that center mm. and similarly for a woman it's like can she and especially in our current you know sociocultural climate women are taught to be highly independent and it's like similarly like a man has to learn how to receive a woman's love it's like can she learn to receive that form of masculine devotion without the like well i can take care of myself i don't need you you know it's like can she actually receive that you know right. and can he give that to right yeah what did it feel like to hear me just describe masculine devotion like what's that experience like for you like how does what does that evoke inside of you um how do you relate to your own yearning and longing for that mm, great i love that <laughs> great questions so how does it land within me hearing about it it's just this like Oh, it's again, it's, it's this combination of activation is much more energy in my system. Aliveness is just this like, fuck yes. in all of my being, my mind, my heart, my body. Um, and of course, yes, it does open that longing as well. And a longing, just this deep desire for that in my life in a very balanced and fucking polarized and juicy harmonious way and I have a really beautiful relationship with longing I feel and it's been something I've been really cultivating for the last mm, two years really of allowing um, well working with desire in the um, allowing the desire to be the fulfillment so there's like this explore, exploration within me. What if there was no further step other than the longing? What if there was no potential at all of being able to actually receive the, 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 the outcome of that longing or the, the meaning of that longing? What if that, that did not exist? And so allowing the longing to be the fulfillment. And some people are like, huh, what does that mean? It's kind of a, a little tricky twist of the brain but I have it's a kind of a practice of mine and like because I, I noticed in the past that I would not even and, and I still do in certain arenas that with that longing I just kind of put it off to the side because it's so strong and it's like why why what what's the point why would I kind of tease myself with that longing but I've really understood that there is a big point in it. And, and that is because I get to actually meet myself in the longing with God. So I basically, you know, I go into it and I feel the longing. I open it up. I let it rip through my being. And at some point it just starts to feel as if I'm being penetrated by God 
and it starts to overflow. And as long as I don't clench it with the, oh, I don't have it and I'm not ever going to have it. That's the part I have to be very careful to leave that way out of the equation and to also see where that resides in your body, to look at those places and to, it's kind of like if it was a knot, just kind of relax it and allow the longing to just, just flush through it. Um, yeah. And I've been, that's one of the main reasons that I am choosing to be alone right now is to really allow for any lack and longing and need to come up in my being and in my body and to really see it and to just realize that energetically every single thing I desire is available right now. And it's, you know, it sounds like woo woo and esoteric, but it's, it's, it's actually true. It's actually true. And then when I really find it in myself, it's actually quite easy for me to find within myself these days. It's literally just a switch. And then, oh, and then I have tons of erotic energy moving through my system and then it becomes a healing. It becomes a healing for all the places in my body, which are still holding on to not having that and the fear of not having that. And, and I let it just rip through it and, and to clear out my system, to clear out my channel. And then I have that vibration of having what it is that I desire in my body, in my being. And I'm walking around with that feeling whole, feeling met without the need for anyone. And that's, that's very magnetic to what it is that I desire. So, yeah, that's, that's my relationship with longing. <laughs> I definitely feel like that longing in a woman is magnetic when it's not judged. Mm. Yeah, because oof, and honestly, it can get very understandable, but kind of twisted when it's judged. And it's when not... she's not judging it and she's not suppressing it yeah. and also not operating from expectation or entitlement, then there's space. There's like, oh, what's what's happening over there? Why am I drawn to this? It's mm. yeah. mm. beautiful. Love that. Mm. <sighs> well, thank you so much for your time, love. This has been fun. You're most welcome. Thank you. It's enjoyable. Yeah. I love that we're still moving in, fascinated by similar topics in life. And uh, yeah, it's nice journeying like this yeah well thank you everybody for listening and we hope you get to tune in again really soon thanks for your time bye thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you were able to get something from it and it was helpful Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And please send this episode to at least one person. It goes a long way to get this info to people who can really benefit from it. So thanks again and I hope you'll join us for our next episode.